Knoxville Game Design, June 2019. Calling web services from Unity with Blake, William, Jacob, Dylan, and Levi. Welcome everyone to Knoxville Game Design. This is a monthly discussion of our game projects and topics in the games industry. Uh, my name is Levi Smith. I'm in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. You may know me from games such as uh, Kitty's Adventure and TTY GFX Adventure. Also joining us this month, we have Dylan Wolf from Lenore City. Hello. And it looks like we have someone else new joining us, Blake. Hey guys, how you doing? Doing okay. Hey, how you doing? Uh, so first of all, we'll start off, we'll do a little bit of news. Um, let me go into screen share. Share that out. So I got a message from Jason Yarber. I don't know if he's attended our online meetings, but uh, he used to come to our meetings at the Tech Co-op. I think he's moved out to uh, North Carolina, maybe uh, in that area. Um, but he had a question. He was looking, I think he's working on an Xbox One game, and he's trying to figure out how to do game saves on the Xbox One. Uh, so I took, Dylan, your video that we did uh, a few months, or I guess in March 2018, sent him that. I know I found this resource very helpful, like when I need to uh, go back and figure out how to do game saves in Unity. I always use this as a reference. Uh, but yeah, uh, looks like he's having a little bit of trouble. I really haven't had time to look into it or anything. Whenever I'm doing games on the Xbox One or even on the Xbox 360, I always try to stay away from game saves. I know it's something that's kind of standard in games these days, but I remember back in the XBLIG days for the Xbox 360, they used to have the memory card pull test. So it's like, oh, if you're in the middle of a save, you would have to pull the memory card. To, be, to I don't know if people remember the evil checklist, but that was one of the tests that you would have to do in order to pass certification. So if you didn't do game saves, it made things a lot easier. Uh, but yeah, both of my games that I have on the Xbox One, neither use game saves. But if anybody out there uh, knows a little bit more about how to do game saves on Xbox One, reach out to Jason Yarber. He's Cupcode Gamers, I think, on that's his website and also on social media. Uh, also wanted to mention the Knoxville Game Design Podcast. I did a couple of changes to this. Uh, I moved it over to the technology category. We were in the game video games category, but I kind of felt that people going to video games were actually looking for like games to buy or game reviews and things like that. They really weren't looking for how to develop and program games. So I, I moved that to a different category. Uh, and I don't have it here. I made a couple of changes to the Knox Game Design Org website. I did put a link directly to the podcast at top right here. So you can click that and go directly to iTunes for our podcast. Um, also changed the directory a little bit. So now it takes up the full screen. And also added this specialty. It used to just be games, but I added this specialty category. Uh, to the listing here. So if anyone out there is looking for a specific, um, I don't know, specific skill, then they can look over here. If any, if I miscategorized anybody out there, just let me know and I'll fix this. I kind of just took a best guess at uh, 
at everyone's skill. Like Dylan, I put you for Unity and 2D art. So I know a lot of people have a plethora of skills. I just kind of picked one or two that uh, people are each person. Like Ruthann, I know she does a lot of processing. So I put that in there for her. And also move the profile pages down here at the bottom. So the old profile pages with our bios and links, if you created one of those, uh, kind of put that down here at the bottom right here. Okay. It uh, looks like, uh, hey, Will, is it William or Will? Uh, it's William. Oh, not, thanks for joining us again. It's my pleasure. Yeah. We got started a little bit early, so we thought we'd go ahead and do a little bit of news here. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, so I also wanted to mention I met with uh, Corey Johns of the Tennessee Entertainment Commission. Um, so, yeah, he'd been following our social media for a few months now, I guess ever since CreepyCon. And it sounds like the Tennessee Entertainment Commission is out there really to help us if we want <clears throat> to expand the group, if we want to start doing like in-person meetings again. Seems like they're out there to help us. Uh, he was just wanting to know a little bit more about our group, and I kind of told him our history and the events that we do. and. And he kind of wanted to know who is doing game dev full time, who's doing it as a hobby, and who's just like starting to learn and things like that. Uh, so I told him, I was like, well, we had a couple of guys a few years ago that were trying to do it full time, um, but uh, now it's pretty much us doing it as a kind of a hobby, a part time thing. Uh, but yeah, sounds like they're really out there to help us. If we need meeting space, he said that we may be able to get like into the technology or no. Uh, the KEC, Knoxville Entrepreneur Center, and uh, he's asking us if we did events or things like that. And I was like, well, we usually do Ludum Dari. I think this guy, he helped with set up the uh, Global Game Jam in Nashville. Uh, I can't remember if that was last year or before, but they had like a huge group there. He's kind of showing me the pictures and everything. So sounds like they're out there to help if we want to uh, take the group in a new direction. Okay, that's all the news that I had for this month. Looks like uh, Jacob joined us. Hello. Hey, Jacob. Um, you never did, uh, we never did talk to you about showing off your game last month. All right, yeah. Did, did did you have that up and running this month for us? Uh, the Primordial game? Thing? Yeah, do you want to share that off? Or yeah, I can do that. Yeah, that would be cool. I can. Let's see here. Yeah, we just talked a little bit about it last month, and I kind of tried playing it. It looks like you did a really good job. I mean, it's kind of like an RTS real-time strategy game. It's kind of like that, I suppose, but I gotta actually, okay, I gotta figure out how to get this on the computer. Let's see here. Yeah, I can't remember, what was the theme? Uh, I'll bring that up. So yeah, last... Right. Can you see it? Oh, wait a second. Not seen it yet. Alright, let's see here. So yeah, uh, Jacob and I did uh, Ludum Dare 44. Uh, what was the theme? Your life is currency. 
Yeah. And I did the Yen Master game. And I've actually been working on that. Okay, I see your screen now, Jacob. Can you see the game now? Yes, I see it. Alright. So, in the game, as you can see, you play as this thing. And you press 1, 2, and 3 to, like, summon dwarves, which kind of drains your health. And you have to make them go do things, like get materials and whatnot. Like, there's this iron stuff up here. And each dwarf does a different thing, like these red-bearded miner dwarves go and mine material. Like, you can see they can go up here and do stuff. And they'll mine the material, and then you bring them back, and you can, like, choose which dwarves to control with the one, two, and three. And you can left-click on a dwarf to turn them into their specific building type, as you can see here. Cool. So if I turn this guy into one of the to storage device, these other guys can put their stuff in there. Oh, cool. And then the smith guys can go over here. We only need one. So one guy can come over here and you can extract the stuff that's in here. And then he can come over here and then put this in here. And then you can use this stuff to make specific things like, let's see here. I forgot I actually how to place things. But you can uh, you can uh, place... Pl yeah, there you go. So if you have the specific materials for it, you can place stuff. So, like, you can place blocks and whatever. I think I ran out of, like, stuff for that. But you can bla place blocks and... Or place buildings, depending on your... One dwarf you selected. Like, with the minor dwarves, you place down these bricks. With smith doors, you can place down a bomb. And with uh, these farmer dwarves, they, you can place down spikes. You also got, you're basically just kind of a bunch of dwarves fighting off zombies and a necromancer eventually. So you just kind of have to kill the zombies that come to you or you find them. Like, you see they're all up here in these small pockets. Yeah, I had a, these... when I was playing it, I, I didn't know how to, like, make the dwarves and dig through the wall. Sometimes it seems like I would left click or sometimes right click. I wasn't sure which one to actually make them like move in mind. So right click is kind of a general thing. When you do left click, they do move towards it. Mm -hmm. But this thing is basically when they collide with it, it turns them into a building. Oh, and I okay. accidentally turned all my mining dwarves into a building, but you know, that happens, I guess. And so you gotta get all the stuff. So basically the goal of the game what happened here okay i did a thing apparently but the goal of the game uh oh that's not good <laughs> the goal of the game is to not get killed by the zombie get see that guy exploded which you know that's not good and there's the necromancer that appears after a while yeah that kind of reminds me of the overlords in starcraft they're just kind of big blobs floating <laughs> in the yeah. air and the goal of the game is basically to not die before this guy gets here and occasionally zombies will come and try to kill you, which is, this is basically what you're trying to defend. So it's kind of like an RTS game, but it's kind of also like a tower defense game, I guess. Mm -hmm. Then he spawned a magic zombie, which does stuff, I guess. So once he collides with you, which he's not doing it yet, apparently. I don't know what's happening there, but basically he's supposed to collide with you, and then you die, and that's kind of how the game ends. I don't know why it's not doing it right now, but... Imagine that you've died, and yeah, <laughs> I can do that right now. And the game basically just ends when you die, and that's kind of just the end of the game. 
Yeah. There's not really much to it, but that's very cool, especially just for 48 hours. So you got yeah. like the two numbers up there. So one is your resources. What's the other number? So one's your health, and the other one's your hunger. Oh, Basically, okay. if hunger is full, you can regenerate health. But if it reaches a certain, if it goes under a certain amount, you start losing health. And so you need to get mushrooms to put into like a mouth hole to feed your character, or else you kind of just die, I guess. That's just kind of the entirety of what that was. Yeah, and then each dwarf has three numbers in under him, right? Well, so yeah, one rep so those three numbers, like for the minor dwarves and the smiths, mm -hmm. those basically represent the materials they're holding, and like the armory thing basically allows you to build stuff with the three different materials, being iron, gold, and diamond, which allow you to build different things. Like with the minor dwarves, you can build walls. With the smith doors, you can build, like, a bomb that when a bad guy touches it, it explodes. Or you could build, like, these spikes that damage people. So, and each dwarf has a different building that they can rather turn into or that can be used to build with them. Kind of. So, like, a normal minor dwarf turns into a storage building, a smith dwarf turns into a forge, and a farmer dwarf turns into a... Uh, kind of farm thing that can reproduce mushrooms which you feed to yourself with the big mouth hole thing. Along with that you can like press four and you have enough like material to build a different like defense item. Like if you press one and you have enough stone and iron you can build like a wall. Press two you can build the bomb and press three you can build the like spike things like I mentioned. Wow, that, that's a lot for one game. I'm amazed that you were able to do that much. Yeah. And then you have, like, three different... I guess technically four, in which you got, like, a normal zombie, but then you got a tunnel... Like, an explosion zombie that, when it touches, like, the, your main character, if it touches a dwarf, it explodes and destroys stuff around it. And then you got the my, the tunneler dwarf, that dwarf, the zombie that can tunnel through walls to get to you. Mm -hmm. And then you have the... Magic dwarf, magic, magic zombie. That's kind of what it was supposed to do. Is every so often it would teleport like into a nearby dwarf and damage them. Mm -hmm. And that thing was only spawned by the necromancer. And the necromancer would come in after a little bit and would like go straight towards you and destroy like the environment around it. So your goal is basically to kill it before it kills you. So like you have to mine stuff and build up a defense before it can get to you. They placed on walls and spikes and bombs and whatnot. So the overall objective is to kill the necromancer. Yeah, you win. your overall... Yeah, that's basically a kill it before it can kill you. That's kind of the entire game. Very cool. <clears throat> yeah, it looks like you put a lot of work into that. and yeah, You did develop this in Game Maker? Is that right? Yeah, I made it game, in, make, in okay. game Maker, yes. You plan on making any more updates to it? or? I don't know. I may... Like yeah. make it actually more better to control with the dwarves. So then you don't just control an entire class of dwarf. You just want to control. I'll probably make it to where you just control a group of dwarves. You just click on instead of an entire group. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you have this on your game jolt site. Uh, I do not. I don't. I think I do actually. Yeah, because I think I that's where I downloaded it. Yeah. I, I don't know if you have the latest version up there or not, but uh, yeah, yeah. the latest latest version. I haven't really changed it much from that. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, anybody out there wants to download it, uh, we'll have Jacob's Game linked on the website. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll do a quick show off myself. Uh, I've, I've been working on EN Master a little bit more, and I've been posting updates on social media. But I made it so that uh, there's a lot, a lot of new uh, abilities in the game. I added this level select at the end of the screen. Um, so it isn't a linear game anymore. So at the end of each stage, you can go to any adjacent stage. Um, I added a few new enemies, like these little hopper enemies. Oh, I guess I'm not screen sharing right now. <laughs> Let me restore that. Go here and share screen. Share. Okay. Go back here and play this yeah so some of the enemies are the same but uh i do have it now once you complete a stage there's all these different abilities that you can upgrade i added bombs uh, which defeat all the enemies on the screen there's a charge shot now so one thing that i was uh contemplating is like well in this game you can just like hold down the button and just rapid shoot and there really isn't any purpose not to hold down the button the whole time so i added this charge shot so that when you're not shooting this meter fills up and then if it fills all the way up then you get a more powerful shot i'm kind of thinking like Mega Man here with the charge shot so the charge shot goes through multiple enemies and it's a little bit bigger Still the same number of levels, um, but yeah, here's like the level select screen that I added this weekend. So now it isn't just linear, you can go between these stages, and I'm thinking about having it so every time you complete a stage, then you'll get one of these uh, power-ups, such as the coin magnet, uh, the bombs, the additional charge shots, speed increase, and fire rate. That way it isn't just like one screen at the end of the level that says, hey, pick your upgrade. So it gives you a little bit more of an incentive to go around and complete all the levels. So I'm thinking about also having it where as you complete the levels, then you'll unlock new levels or you got to complete them all or something to finish all the stages. So yeah, continuing to work on that. I had a couple other games. Like I need to get back to the Yen Master game, but I haven't really worked on that much lately. So, yeah, unless anybody else had has anything to show off, I'm going to uh, throw it over to Dylan. So, Dylan, you're going to tell us a little bit about web services in Unity? Yeah, let me share my screen here. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is something I'm really interested in because uh, I saw the description that you wrote up, and I think you're using Node.js. I've heard a lot about Node. I've never used it myself, so I'm really interested to hear about this. Yeah, so um, this is not a like complete, you know, deep dive into Node and everything. Um, this is kind of I'm kind of just walking through a demo that I started playing with, um, uh, you know, a while back, uh, just to see if I could. Um, so yeah, we're just gonna start out by uh, building just a really simple web service. So I'm gonna talk about. Um, easy ways to prototype. Uh, then we're going to get into how to connect to that web service in Unity. And I'm using a library called, I think it's REST Client, not REST Sharp. I 
that's a different library. I, I mistyped that in the, the description. Is that like a open source free type thing? or? Yes. Okay. And um, we'll talk about it a little more here. What's what's nice about it is it's, it's built on top of Unity's Unity web request. So I think it has a little more... Um, compatibility with different platforms than if you were using, you know, something in .NET. Um, yeah, I've, I've tried to do some things over the web in Unity, like my little online leaderboard. It seems to work really well for doing, like, uh, like PC and Linux and Mac builds. I always had a problem getting the online stuff to work through a web GL build, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know if web is different. I'm assuming it may have may have some issues, um, especially if you're going out to like a different site or something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't actually tried it. This I know is, that's the way Java applets used to be, the kind of sandbox use, so I'm thinking that maybe Unity kind of does the same thing. I don't know. I really haven't looked into it, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know myself. But yeah, for this for this demo, I'm just going to use Node.js. Uh, you can get it Node.js.org. Uh, the nice thing about this is it runs on command line, so if you're developing locally, you don't have to install Apache or IIS or something like that uh, to get into it. And um, one other nice thing is it makes sending and receiving JSON really easy. Um, if you if you've heard of .NET Core. Uh, that also has a similar approach. Um, .NET Core is like the new .NET um, that will work cross-platform. Um, really, any platform will work. Uh, like I know Levi, you were you were using uh, like a WordPress plugin, I think, at one point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, in Unity or. I think so. Yeah. Hmm. You for like leaderboards? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I actually yeah. wrote, uh, yeah. I actually used a WordPress plugin to display the data, I believe. But yeah, that was all PHP, and it was using just like REST calls, uh, using like the www object in Unity. So it worked pretty well. Yeah, like I said, this is pretty similar. I'm not I'm not trying to say that like Node or, or .NET Core is the only way to do it. I've just found that like I've I've been doing some Node at work and it's it's really easy to get off the ground. Yeah, um, I've heard Node is very popular. Um, and I'll go back to one other thing you said earlier, JSON. Just for anybody out there, JSON is a file format. I think it's JavaScript object notation. Notation. Or yeah, yeah, something like that. So it's just it's kind of like XML, just without all the extra tags and goop in there. <laughs> it makes it a yeah. little bit easier to read, and it makes it really easy to like suck in data. I think I've used JSON on the website. It's like okay, you just uh, if you're doing what is it AJAX? AJAX pulls in JSON really easily. So then yeah. you have if you if you have your data formatted in JSON, then it just sucks it in. Then you have all your objects already created for you. There's no parsers to write or anything like that. Yeah, and, and JSON works really well with um, JavaScript, obviously, because literally JSON is just the code it would take to get that object in, in JavaScript. But yeah, like most, <clears throat> most major languages are going to have a parser for it. Um, I'm sure PHP has something. Uh, .NET has JSON.NET, a bunch of different libraries. 
Um, all right, so what we're going to start out with is you'll see over here. Let me let me zoom in a bit. By the way, I did get uh, Visual Studio Code integrated with Unity. I, I really like it. It's a lot faster. I think the only feature that I'm missing is like uh, the refactoring. Is like if I want to change a variable name, if I used a full Visual Studio, then it'll go into all the different little files and change it. Where dot or Visual Studio Code just has a simple find and replace. Yeah, I, I like it because it's faster, and I haven't really missed the refactoring, but I, I do get that because I've used refactoring before. Um, so what you'll see here is I've got just kind of a basic Unity project that we're going to use as an example. And then uh, I've got that open in Visual Studio Code. You can see I've got my assets, packages, uh, folders here. I've also created a, a file within that path called Unity Web Demo, and that's my Node.js project. Uh, so one nice thing about using Visual Studio Code is you can move back and forth from your, your Unity client code to your, your server-side code. Um, and I'm using, I'm actually using something called TypeScript here, which is a essentially like a cross-compiler that adds typing. I'm, I'm not actually using any typing anywhere, so I guess it doesn't matter in this example, but I like to start with that. Um, but this is just a really simple one-file uh, server. So um, I've added in a library called Express, which is which allows you to host a web, essentially just a web, basic web server, and Body Parser, which is going to let us uh, parse out uh, data that we send back to the server, and that's literally it. Um, you know, and you can get that through the the Node Package Manager npm. Um, and so my one file, just just to start out prototyping, I'm going to import Express. I'm going to import Body Parser, those two libraries. I'm going to say run. If we've got an environment variable that tells us what port to run on, use that. Otherwise, run on port 3000. And then I'm going to create an API with Express. And all that is, is I'm just saying, okay, create a new Express app, add in that body parser so that so that we can take parameters. And then I'm going to define uh, four endpoints. The first is a get endpoint for slash API slash basic, and that's just going to give us a simple um, hello world message. So we you know, each uh, each endpoint is we get the request object from from the user. We get a response object that lets us send something back, and we just say, okay, if we get API basic, send back an object with success equals true and message hello world. And you can kind of see that if I hit localhost 3000 API basic, um, then you're just going to get this JSON string that says that success equals true, message equals hello world. Um, the next endpoint is a post endpoint to API slash with params. And it takes a parameter called name and it just says hello, whatever name you provide it. Um, so those are kind of our, our 
kind of kind of the two basic examples you're going to use for most web service calls. So, for example, if you were building a leaderboard, um, basic would the the get request would let you pull down um, you know the top ten users uh, or player scores, and then the post request would maybe let you uh, publish a score to the list. Yeah, that's similar to what I did with my PHP stuff. I would like send like the player's ID or name, their score, and then like a key. And then I like hashed the key. I hashed those three values together, and I would pass that key or the hash value with it up to the server. Then the server would verify that it's a valid score. So yeah, and it's, essentially that's what you would do here in this method. You would do all that validation, and you would send back either the you know something that says this failed or this succeeded um and this this object can be anything you want um so you know you could have a list of scores or whatever so the the last two endpoints that i defined throw a 500 error and a 404 error and i just set this up so we can look at what happens when um a call to your web service fails in game because you that's that's something you need to kind of plan for so um, 4, 404 is file not found 500 yes. means like servers wonky or something i can't remember what that one is it's internal server error it's Inter just if, if you're writing code and something breaks it's usually going to give you a 500 um so I define those five or four endpoints, and then I come down here and say, okay, listen on whatever port we defined. And then, you know, when I come down here into my command line tab, I ran it, and you say, okay, listening on localhost 3000. Um, so that's, that's really simple. That's a really simple way to get started with this. Um, it makes it good for prototyping that you can just dump all this in, a single file. Uh, as you build out a real game, you would want to um, separate this this into different files, and I think Express and, and even other uh, uh, web server libraries have ways of, of building those routes. So that's it. And, and again, the nice thing is I can prototype. I can just come down here. Uh, I'll show you what I did in, in Visual Studio Code, new terminal. Um, that's going to just bring up a PowerShell window. I can CD to my, my node project and then do npm start. I've got that set up as a script that will um, run the TypeScript compiler and start it. And that's it. I don't have to c configure Apache or, or anything else. So now we're going to go into Unity. And um, again, I, I just have a really simple example here. Uh, we've got a couple lines. The first one is the URL that we're calling. The second line is going to be a progress indicator. Uh, so if, if we're in process, it's going to show that, that we're still um, uh, doing a request and then I'm going to get that success, true, false, and then the message text. So for example, 
and click uh, basic request, you'll see that, that this progress indicator said, like flash that it was running for a second. Um, and then when it completed, success is true and message is hello world. <laughs> yeah, because if you're running this on local host, that's going to be really fast. But I assume if you're doing this over the internet, then it'll take a second or two or whatever. Yes, and that's that's why you, you want to have that progress indicator so that you know you can um, show the user that you're doing something and, and maybe even switch to a different state. So if you've ever played like Pokemon Go, um, when it's doing a request, it'll have a little spinning uh, Pokeball up in the corner and you pretty much can't do anything um, while it's running except pan around the map. Yeah, I don't know if that's like an asynchronous process where you just like send a request and you just kind of wait until you get a response, but still let the player do some other things while they're waiting. Yes, and th that's exactly what it is. Um, that's actually where uh, using REST client uh, came in pretty handy. Oh, I've got a slide for this. Yeah, because if you if you just freeze the screen waiting for a response or put it if you put your response wait in a loop, then it's just going to freeze the app. Then then people are just going to think it's broken or something. Yeah, so Unity actually has an object that does all of this uh, <clears throat> called Unity Web Request that is actually asynchronous. The problem is it's just an object you create and then every frame, like every every time you call update or you can put it in a coroutine, all, you're going to have to manage that and say, okay, is this done? Is this done? Is this done? Okay, it's done. Now I'm going to uh, handle it. Which is nice. Like it's 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 still pretty nice that it's not going to lock up your game, but that's a lot of extra work. Um, like I said, the library I found is something called REST Client, which just puts a wrapper around that, and it uses something called Promises for asynchronous connections. And uh, Promises are basically just an alternative to callbacks. So in in some cases, if you're if you're doing something asynchronous, um, you'll you'll run an asynchronous method, and then you'll pass it a function that says, "Okay, when you get done, call this code." Um, what a promise does is it kind of wraps that up in an object and says, "Okay, this run this function, and when this is, and then kind of track the progress of that." Um, and so essentially you're still building that callback function, but you it makes it easy to chain them together. So for example, I can create a promise that in, instead of doing a coroutine that checks to see if uh, Unity web request is done, I create a promise that makes the request and then I um, pass it a then function to that just basically says, okay, when this promise is complete, do something with the result, and you can just forget about the object at that point. Um, I can also do stuff like uh, put catch on there, say, okay, if an error occurs somewhere, um, then, you know, do something else. And, and we'll see, again, like I said, this is a real simple example. Um, so when I click that basic request, 
it's calling this do basic request method. And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm building my URL. I'm coming out here and I'm, I'm setting the indicator to running. I'm setting a flag is running to true. Um, you know, basically before you're doing a call, you want to put your game in a state that, you know, tells your user you're waiting on something. Um, it might limit some of their options. And then I'm going to call restclient.get with the URL. I'm going to say, give me the result back uh, in the form of the web service response class, which is just that same generic success message um, object I was passing back from um, Node. Um, and so that's going to create a promise. And what I'm going to do is I'm just say, take that promise. When it completes, um, turn is running to false, set the indicator text to completed success, um, and then output the result of the, the object we got back from the server. Um, So again, we hit a basic request, it creates a promise, and then when um, when you hit, when it completes, it calls whatever I pass to then, which is to populate all this text. Then, so as a second example, uh, we can actually pass data back to the server. So it's kind of the same thing. I'm going to create, and this parameterized request is just a single object that contains a name property. Um, so when uh, the user clicks that button, I just grab whatever is in the uh, name input field, build that object, and call rest client post uh, with my URL and with the parameter object. And the uh, REST client just knows to serialize that to JSON. You know, I don't have to worry about that conversion. And then, so what that's going to do is it's going to come back, you know, it's going to call my method. The method says, okay, I got in the body of the request, I got a parameter called name. I'm going to build a message out of that. So we, so we get the result back and the message is just hello plus whatever the name. So anything you type in that text box right there, when you press parameter request, it's going to send that parameter then change to, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, it makes it really easy because I don't, I don't have to do anything except on the server side, add in that body parser library. Um, it just kind of knows how to talk back and forth in JSON. Um, but the two things, I would, like the, the big thing I want to point out with those is tracking, um, tracking whether you've got some, some um, running uh, 
requests is going to be really good for your user interface because um you know like i said if you're waiting on a request to finish before you do something you can prevent you know you can kind of lock down what the user can do you can display an indicator so that um so that the user knows your game just hasn't locked up or something so it's like after the players finish playing the game, they submit their scores, and then you want to just like wait for a second, and then once that is running, turns back to true, then you can like display all the high scores or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you might have like a little spinning indicator that you you make visible, and and yeah, when it gets finished, then you move on to the next step in the process. Um, so. One thing I think you could do here, because that request is kind of um, encapsulated in an object, you could technically spin up multiple requests and and track the state of multiple requests if, if you need it and say, okay, once these are all finished, then um, then continue. You know, if you if you'd broken out pieces of your your API into different methods, like give me all the um, quests I have, give me all the the items I have, you know, give me my my character sheet or something. Yeah, this reminds me of like MMOs, like World of Warcraft, where you can like kill a monster, then loot the monster, then you click on the loot, and then sometimes it would take a few seconds for it to actually <laughs> register. I guess post that loot ID to the server and then once it actually responded saying hey you've actually clicked the loot then then it would add it to your inventory and everything but sometimes there's always that delay but it let you still keep playing while that loot was registering with the server yeah yeah and you could you could track multiple promises I, I actually the first version of the sample code I did I actually played around with with doing that I was like eh, it's not going to be good for a demo um Those are examples of just sample, like just basic requests. You, you get information, you send information. The other thing you want to think about is what happens if a request fails. And in this case, um, we've got a button that uh, runs do failed uh, called do failed request and do not found request. Uh, that call those two endpoints that throw 500 and, and uh, 404 errors. And you can see we're doing basically the same thing as we did with just the simple get request. We're calling restclient.get URL. We're expecting a web service response. We're expecting an object to come back. But, um, you know, from looking at the server code, we know an object is never going to come back. Um, instead, what's going to happen is we've got this catch off of our our promise here that says um, says if if we throw an error, um, change the indicator to show that we errored out. Um, turn off is running. Like <clears throat> if you're submitting a score up to a um, high score list you want to then, you know, and, and that fails, you still want to, like, stop that, that 
your little spinning indicator or whatever and say, hey, you know, this this uh, this failed. Do you want to try again or, or do you want to continue? Um, we're going to set uh, success text to false. And then in this case, what we're going to do, um, REST client is sending us back an error object, um, which is just, I think, an exception. Yeah. In this case, we're just going to grab whatever the message on the exception is. Uh, we could even do something like um, show us what type of exception it is and show the error. So let me show those as an example. So now if I click failed request, you'll see that we completed, but it was with an error. Um, we hard-coded success to false. And then um, we showed the, the actual exception we got back. In this case, request exception 500 server error. If we click the not found request, uh, you'll see we get basically the same thing, except now the, the exception we got back was 404 not found. Um, so this is actually dependent on you getting an error code back, right? So if like the server is just completely down, then it's just going to hang for a little. You won't ever get a response back, right? Well, it's going to throw an error. So let's uh, see. Like I'm going to I'm going to shut down uh, the the node process that that was running that server. Mm -hmm. And now, if I try to just do basic requests, it's going to run. You saw that it's going to run for a second. Timeout. And so it says now cannot connect to destination host. Um, so the way REST client works is if you get an error, it's going to throw an exception, which is the same thing it's going to do if it can't connect. And so you're going to just build handling for that into your catch block. It says something went wrong. Now, you know, we're going to do whatever we need to do for the player to um, so they can continue. Yeah, you know, because if the server is completely down, you don't want to wait an infinite amount of time waiting for that request to come back. So it's good that it handles this. Yeah, like that's and that's pretty simple in this case because it's just like it's it's not even going to be able to find the server. Um so that's basically it. Um the only thing I'll add is if you're used to something like PHP, hosting with Node.js or .NET Core or something like that is weird because you'll see that um, I didn't install this. Like, I didn't paste this into a, a folder that Apache was serving pages from. I was actually running my own server in the application. Um, so that... It, it's a little bit tricky. Like you can't just upload this to any web host. Um, but the way you would run it typically is to proxy it through um, something like Apache or IIS. And so, for example, um, I've put up a Node application on or a .NET Core application on one of my VPSs, um, and then. You know, it's running on like port 5000. I've got an Apache site set up that says, um, 
okay, whenever you get a request for this URL, just proxy it to to that application. And then I configure all my advanced options like SSL and stuff in Apache, um, which sounds like a lot if you're not, uh, yeah, you, you need a little bit of technical knowledge to get that working. Yeah, I've, I've done that with things like Tomcat as a go. You got to kind of proxy yes. it to the other server. Doesn't like Apache isn't going to know what to do with uh, like uh, like what is it JSPs and things like that. So you got to yeah. proxy it over to Tomcat or whatever's going to handle it. Yeah, I've done that before too with Tomcat. It's it's really weird because if you come out of like web development, it just seems like, why would you not use Apache? Why would you have to go through all this mess? But it seems like that's becoming more standard now with things like Node. Um, it is easier. Uh, so for example, if you use Azure, you can just upload, you can just upload that, um, that application to their Azure app service and think for the most part it'll handle it directly um, uh, with yeah. kind of minimal configuration on your part yeah I've never used Azure before something I need to look into yeah it's um, I hear a lot about it <laughs> yeah I don't remember what the details are we we use it at work just for our like hosting our We've got like an issue tracker and and source control and stuff like that. Um, and the Azure is like the Microsoft Cloud thing hosting. Yeah, it's um, it's so, actually got a ton of different services, but Azure App Service is going to be your basic web hosting. Okay. Um, if you go, I think you can sign up and get a free trial. That's you know, for like a year or something, I want to say. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, if you're running, like I said, Apache, you would proxy it. You you run a proxy. Uh, IAS actually has um, a module called IAS node, which I think is what Azure is actually using that handles that for you. Um. So there is a way to, you know, there is a way to host it. It's going to take a little more effort than your standard um, um, web hosting, but you know, there is a way to do it. And that's basically it. I, I realized that was way more technical than I <laughs> originally no, I intended. It was great. But, I think it's just the right level. It wasn't like, yeah. Just enough for people who are interested in it and want to learn more about it. And but the the examples you gave were like straightforward, and it's like okay, it wasn't a bunch of extra stuff in there. It's like okay, just just tell me how to post something and how tell me how to get data back. Yeah, and that that's one thing I really liked about um, REST client was I didn't have to like using Unity Web Request takes a little bit of work trying to figure out like okay, well. I have to put this off on its own coroutine, so now I have to manage this process over here. It's just like, nah, create a 
create a request and forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it makes things really easy because like the leaderboard stuff that I wrote is like a lot of PHP and gobbledygook in there. It's like, okay, and you got to do with the asynchronous request and you're like waiting on stuff. And it seems like this makes it so much cleaner and easier to handle. Yeah, you could do the same thing with PHP. Like the asynchronous part is still there because that's all on your on Unity, but um, there's just less. Like I know you were hosting on WordPress, and there's there's fewer questions about how you get that service now to integrate with WordPress. You you still do you know like if I was actually building a game, I would need to connect to a database and do all that stuff. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I noticed like you've been on Twitch sometimes, like working on I think is Envoy. Yeah, I. It's kind of like a old cross between like Castlevania Two and Adventure of Link. I yeah. honestly, it's just me playing around with an engine. I, I think last time I got on, I was like trying to re- recreate the AI from a like a previous version of it that used uh, 2D toolkit mm-hmm. in Unity and I realized I was way in over my head <laughs> yeah, the graphics in it are really nice you used, I don't know if this was Krita or something else but uh, it's got the nice kind of like paint style graphics to it and that was yeah that was mostly GIMP I think I used a, a graphics tablet um what I did, and th- this was why I originally used 2D Toolkit on that, was mm-hmm. I basically tile, like like those buildings, that's like a tiled section of brick, and then I tiled the edges on top of that, and then I put the door and the windows on top of that. So um, it's just stacking like rectangles of tiled images. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I I think I played it a few months ago, and you play through the levels. Very, it's a lot like Simon's Quest, Castlevania Two, and you you go up the tower. And I think you get something out of the tower, and that's kind of like the key. And you go back around, and you can get to the forest and everything. So yeah, yeah. really cool looking. And I know you were working on like a menuing system for this, where you can buy different items from the shop and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, that was. That was a little bit tricky getting all those to work together, but yeah. Okay, uh, I'll go around before we wrap it up. Hey, Jacob, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Did you have anything else you want to show off or talk about? Uh, I don't really have much of anything else to talk about. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for showing up this month, and we enjoyed hearing about Primordial. Everybody can check that out on uh, Jacob's uh, Game Jolt site. I'll put a link to it. Hey, William, Will, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Hey, I uh, ho- hope you had fun and fun jo- uh, listening to us talk about web services this month. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to talk about or show off? No, I'm good. I, I enjoyed the topic. I've read a couple of uh, Dylan's articles, um, so um, I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah. Dylan, it, appreciate it, you sharing with us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for joining uh, hey Blake, uh, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, did you have anything you wanted to show off or talk about? Uh, if you want to, I've got a a game I've been working on. It's actually a Udemy course for multiplayer games. Oh, okay, awesome. So, 
Yeah, I haven't seen much. I haven't done much with the Udemy stuff myself, but I know another guy, Drew Ragsdale. He joined us a few months ago, and he was working with the Udemy courses, and he's able to create a pretty good, like, little space shooter. Uh, and he's coming from like a background. I don't think he knew much about programming at all, and he's able to follow that. And uh, okay, yeah, I have a couple courses. A lot of them are pretty good. Awesome. Um, so this is Unreal Engine, and I've just been working on it in spare time for about a month or so now. Um, go ahead and jump into the game if it'll let me. Basically, it's going to be like a a stealth game. There's going to be AI enemies that are going to path around and look for you and your uh, the point of the game would be to get an objective over into some kind of a goal area so this little dwarf guy here you can distract him by shooting and then if he sees you kind of gives you a game over okay. there and i've also got this little launch pad here mm -hmm. It'll take us up to this objective. And then we can shoot him over there and capture that. That's pretty much it. So, oh, cool. Uh, are you using blueprints with this or are you doing like C? It's been a mix, really. There's some blueprints in here and there's some C. So, um, he goes, but the tutorial I've been going goes kind of back and forth and shows you how to do it in C++, and then takes you into the blueprint and shows you how to connect it up there as well. Yeah. I, I've always just done... I've done, done very little. I mean, I've done a couple of games in Unreal, but I, I do like how Unreal like the, it handles like the camera blurring and all that. But, yeah, Blueprints makes it very easy. I mean, if you're just starting into game development to, like, wire things together without getting into too detailed coding or anything like that. Yeah, so here's just a small one that he did for this UI that just creates the the widget there for it. But uh, I like it. Yeah, look, looks pretty cool. Yeah, doing the AI, that, that's always been really tricky, especially if you get into, like, pathfinding and trying to make your guy move around the level on his own and things like that. Very cool. Uh, see, Dylan, did you have anything else <laughs> you wanted to show off or talk about? Nah, I don't have anything. Okay, everybody can find Dylan at DylanWolf.com and DylanWolf. Um, yeah, DylanWolf on social media. I'm GA Tech Grad. On social media, you can find myself uh, at LeviDSmith.com. You can always find the audio for this meeting on iTunes. Just look up Knox Game Design. You can also find it on Stitcher and Podcast Attic and a bunch of other places. And get the video on YouTube. Just look up Knox Game Design. It should take you to the Knox Game Design playlist. So appreciate everyone out there watching the videos and listening to the podcast. And we'll be back next month.